Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Now, I want you to notice in those verses, 7 through 11, there's some commandments there. And I'm just going to read them to you. We looked at them, but there's commandments in there. And the first one is, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious about it and be watchful in your prayers. The second one is to have a fervent love for one another. And boy, is that something that we need more than ever today. We need to really love each other. The world will know that we're his disciples by the love that we have for one another. We've heard it said, love covers a multitude of sin. Today, on Truth in Christ, Pastor Rob explores how Peter tells the new believers in Christ that they should have fervent love for one another because love doesn't stir up sin. We can demonstrate our love for our fellow believers by truly forgiving them and not talking openly about their past sins, but rather leave it in the hands of God. And now, if you have your Bible, Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and let's join Pastor Rob. As we've been going through the Peter's letter, we know that he wrote it to a group of individuals, Jewish believers, who had come to Christ, and as a result of their coming to Christ in a very difficult time in history, we know that the Roman Empire was the dominant government in that time. They were the world power, and... Uh, Caesar claimed to be God himself, God in the flesh, and he allowed himself to be worshipped. And so anything else, anyone else that would dare challenge that authority would be imprisoned or even put to death. And Christianity was a direct affront to Roman, uh, the Roman authority at that time. And so these new believers were really in a difficult place. They were on the run and they were being persecuted. And Peter wrote this letter to encourage them, to encourage them that they are in good company when they, when they suffer for righteousness' sake. And that's, that's the key to this whole thing, is suffering according to righteousness', righteousness sake. Because if we suffer because we've done wrong, we have what we were due. We, we get what we deserve, in other words, right? If you rob a bank, you deserve jail for a very long time. But if you do something something well, and you do something according to what God's will is, and you suffer for it, there's a whole different feeling about it, because you know that you've deserved something if you do something wrong, but when you do something right according to God's estimation, and you suffer for it, the very Spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. And it's a hard thing to understand unless you've gone through it yourself, and unless you've 
suffered for righteousness' sake, uh, even if it's just something that somebody said wrong about you. Or maybe you've been punched, or maybe you've been spit on, or maybe you've been looked at with disdain, or somebody has you know, uh, looked at you and, and, and said bad things behind your back. All of these things are light affliction compared to what we see in the Apostle Paul's life. But persecution is part of the Christian walk. If we are walking, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's just a a question of to what extent. And not all of us are going to be uh, martyred. The vast majority, probably I'd I'd be willing to say over 90% or more of Christians that have ever been on this earth haven't died a martyr's death, but there are some who have. But certainly you live in an enemy territory. This world, the prince of this world, is Satan. We know that God created all things, and really, ultimately, everything belongs to him. But for a season, Satan is allowed to infect this world. And he's infected the world because we've allowed him to. We gave him the choice. We gave him, we, we yielded our will to him, and it happened back in the garden. And that's why God has been going through this process of salvation. This plan of salvation was put in place long ago. God knowing very well that if, if there's any real love involved, there has to be a choice. There has to be a choice in love. And God gave us that choice, and we blew it. <laughs> we blew it in the garden. And that sin nature has been passed down from generation to generation. And the only way to, to turn the tide is to receive a new nature. This old nature is dead. This old nature is filled with sin. Its propensity is to express itself in every vile thing known to man. But God, he gives us a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he gives it to us for the asking. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Because if you do, then you are a Christian. If you do not have the Spirit of God in you, you are not a Christian. I don't care how much church you've attended. I don't, know, I don't care how much money you've spent to fund things that are, that are church-related. God the Father wants to look down and he wants to see the deposit of his Spirit within you. And it's there for anyone who asks. We simply come in repentance and we say, God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for everything I've done. That happened to me when I was 24 years old. I was born again when I was 24. And I know the day and I know the hour. And God changed my life and he's changed your life and hopefully he's changing your life. And if you're here today and you, God hasn't, you don't have that same experience, please don't leave today. Pray with someone. I'll be glad to pray with you. You don't need me. You can pray to somebody with somebody else. You can pray alone in your bedroom when you go back home today. You don't need any kind of special representative. Believe me, the only one you need is you and God. <laughs> that's all you need. All he's looking for is a right heart, a heart that's repentant, a heart that's in love with him for what he's done for us. What a great gift we've given, amen? And that's what God requires. But this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking verses 7 through 11 probably. If we have time to get through 12 through 19, that'd be great. But knowing my track record, it's probably not going to happen. But let's read through. Remember, in the context of this, it's talking about Christ's suffering and suffering once for sins. And, and therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Peter encourages us to arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That is God's design for us. 
And notice in verse 7, let's read it together. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things, and this is the reason for it all, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Now, I want you to notice in those verses, 7 through 11, there's some commandments there. And I'm just going to read them to you. We looked at them, but there's commandments in there. And the first one is, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious about it and be watchful in your prayers. The second one is to have a fervent love for one another. And boy, is that something that we need more than ever today. We need to really love each other. The world will know that we're his disciples by the love that we have for one another. But if they see us arguing and bickering and fighting... They're going to go, what is this all about? The very fact that we love one another and take care of each other. And you know, I've failed at this. I have failed at this. Sometimes I get it right, but more often than not, I don't get it right. And I know that we could all say we probably have all failed at this too. But don't let it discourage you. We have to go back to the cross. We have to say, Lord, forgive me for not loving your people the way I ought to. Help me for not sitting with that person who nobody seems to sit with for some reason. Help me to reach across that stuff. And the other thing is be hospitable to one another without grumbling. I can be hospitable and grumble, but being hospitable without grumbling is a whole different matter, and that's what the command is. It's what God, through the Holy Spirit, through Peter, tells us. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And do you have a gift? If you have a gift, whatever that is, minister it to one another. And if anyone speaks, has the ability to preach and to share the word of God, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Notice, with the ability which God supplies. So should we be comparing each other with each other? We shouldn't compare each other because some of you have abilities and you minister in a certain way and it may be different from somebody else. And and unfortunately, we, we tend to compare each other and we ought not to do that because once we do that, we elevate ourselves above somebody else. And believe me, even if you don't verbalize it in your nonverbal communication, when you speak to that other person who you think is not doing as much as you are, they can feel it. Do you know that? They feel it. Nonverbal communication, it gives me away all the time. I can say all the things that I want to with my lips, but boy, my nonverbal communication gives me away every time. I'm not a very good liar. I don't try to purposely lie. But there have been a couple of times where I've said some fibs to my daughter, and she caught me. She's like, Dad, you're not telling the truth. And it was usually something, you know, you know nothing really deep or anything like that. And she'd bust me. She said, she looked right at me, she goes, like, you're not telling me the truth. And then I said, you know what, you're right. I wasn't telling you the truth. You're, have you ever said an untruth to your kids? Sometimes to spare them, uh, telling them the truth, maybe something that's kind of difficult for them to, to grasp or something like that. And then they bust you on it. I'm not very good at, at lying. I'm really glad for that because I think that's just the Lord's way of 
making us more like him. I can't get away with anything. And God doesn't want us to. He doesn't want us to get away with anything. I want to be in his will. But our faith, as we read that list of things there, those, these commandments that are given in this verse, you know, our faith is and ought to be active, and it ought to be able to be demonstrated and seen in our lives. Because, you know, we can say all we want, but until there's action behind it, 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 it really means nothing. Like the old adage, talk is cheap, right? We can say all we want, but until I see action, it's just empty words. It's just empty words. But let's look at verse 7. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You know, the end times really began the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. And the day that he ascended into heaven, the end days began. And unfortunately for us, those end days have been lasting for just over uh, almost 2,000 years now. The end days. We live in the end days. And I believe we live in the end of the end days because there's so many signs in the Bible that show us that we are in the end of the end. There are, there are uh, allies and things going on over in the Middle East, which is really the timetable of everything over there. And you see all these things aligning and alliances that had never been. Persia and Russia, they'd never been allies. And now they're like this, simpatico. <laughs> You know, there's so many things that are just, the, the, the table is set, the chess pieces are all there, and God is going, and it didn't, doesn't surprise him. He knows exactly what's going on, and he told us in advance what was going to happen. Aren't you glad that you serve a God, a good shepherd, who tells you in advance? Why? So you don't worry, so you don't get ulcers at night. We can trust him. Can you trust Jesus? Can you trust the word that you have in your lap? Or is it just some fable book that somebody has told you that you don't need to trust in that, It's kind of nice just to get together on Sunday morning and just kind of go through something moral and have a nice lunch together. No. If that's all it is, then we have to close the doors and do something else with our lives. This is it, folks. This is the Word of God. Believe every bit of it. Absorb it. Live it the best that you can. And pray to God that the Holy Spirit would just do that work in and through you. For he does, he, he, he does it for, to will and then to do of his good pleasure, right? For God wants to do that in you. But it says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The word serious there is, is a Greek word which means sane. And boy, I tell you what, that's something I like to, that, that's true in our culture today. We need to be sane, is there any insanity in the world going on right now? Do you know of any? Is it, or is it, I, don't, I don't think there really is. Do you? I mean, is there sanity in the world? Believe me, as Christians, we are the only sane ones on the earth because we believe in the truth. Everyone else can think what they want. They can make up their own thing. But we don't make up our own thing. Our own thing was given to us by God. And he gave this to us. And he gave it to every single person. This is his love letter to us. It's his instruction manual to know who we are and who God is, the great gulf in between, and the rescue mission that was put in place to save you and I. I'm so thankful for that. But be serious in your prayer. Be sane about it. Be in your right mind. Exercise self-control. And be watchful in prayer as well. The idea is to be sober, to be temperate. In Romans chapter 13, Paul said this to them. He said, And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. The church, unfortunately, we become sleepy. And many people are sleeping. They're sleeping. They're totally asleep. 
The, the whole world has lulled us to sleep. We've got so uh, frustrated with everything that's going on, we've just shut down. And you know, the world outside of us, outside of the church, they have shut down and they are being fed lies and they are being fed untruths. And they are so in the hand of the devil. Do you understand it? And isn't it true that once you gave your heart to Christ and, and the, the Lord starts opening your mind and your heart to the word of God, real truth, all of a sudden things become so obvious. You read the newspaper and you're like, well, that's obviously a lie, a deception. And so many people are being deceived. And even parts of the church, we're, we're getting sleepy, folks. you got to wake up. We have to wake up. I have to wake up. We have to start shaking the branches, shaking the trees again. Wake us up, God, because time is short. It's short, and people are hurting, and we're hurting. Don't kid ourselves or think that, you know, I'm fine and you're fine. Everything's fine. Well, sometimes, even as a Christian, things aren't fine because I'm not awake. I'm not awake. I'm asleep at the wheel. I'm on autopilot, and God says, get out of autopilot, brothers and sisters, my children, get out of autopilot. Everything you do, do it with a purpose. Do it on, on purpose. Do it intently. Because it's very easy for us just to go on autopilot. We do it every day, at different times in our day. It's very easy. Our morning routine for all of us is well established. We've got it down. I could tell you my morning routine, but I won't. But it's very simple. It's very basic. And it involves a large pot of coffee. But I know my routine, and it's autopilot. I don't even have to think about it. I just I go downstairs. Well, I won't go in there. I, I just, I, I'm on autopilot. There are certain things that we do that are on autopilot, but there are certain things, folks, we got to purpose in our hearts to do and not allow ourselves to be on the switch of autopilot and let somebody else. Because when you let somebody else, if it's not God, believe me, it's the devil. And God wants to get us watchful. He wants to get us serious. And... Being serious and watchful in prayer is something that is waning in the church today. You know, it's unfortunate. Our, our Tuesday evening prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in, in, the, in the church. It's the least. And we could do it on any other night. We could do it on Wednesday night. We used to do it on Saturday night. And the, the, the result was still the same. Now, you can pray at home, and that's fine. But if you're going to set aside some time and, you know, on a Tuesday night and pray, why don't you come out with us? There's a fire when all the embers get together. And I'm not talking weird fire, okay? I'm just talking zeal, love for God. None of this crazy hanging off chandeliers and barking like dogs and flapping like your wing, you know, your arms like eagles and crazy stuff. Just love. But when we're together, that happens. Please come out. I beg you if I had to. Actually, I think I am. I'm begging you. Come out on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Spend a half hour. You don't have to spend the whole hour. We usually spend an hour. Come for our 20 minutes. Come for a half hour. Come for the whole time. But we need to be prayerful. You know, perhaps the reason why we're not serious and watchful in prayer is because we no longer have desperation. You know, God responds to desperation. I know this in my own life. When we first uh, started after Pastor Jeff had left and Believe me, I, I, I'm still desperate, but I was really desperate then because this is a whole new thing for me. God was doing a whole new thing, and I'm like, God, if you don't do something, I'm going to die in front of everybody. It's going to be a real mess. Right? I'm just going to fall down dead, and you've got to drag me off and bring somebody else up. You've got to do this, Lord. But he responds to desperation. And, you know, we've also learned to cope with life struggles instead of going directly to Jesus for help. 
We've learned, our, we have our coping mechanisms, everyone does. But who is your help? And what is your crutch? You know, it's okay to have a crutch if it's Christ. The world can make fun of you and say, well, Jesus is your crutch. And I'll be the first to say, yes, absolutely. He is my crutch. He's the one I go to. Because there is nobody else. Remember Peter said, Lord, where can we go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Is there any other truth? The book of Isaiah is filled with statements where God would say in the first person, I know of no other Savior. There is no other God beside me. There's none that I know of. And if he doesn't know if there's any, believe me, there's none. He is the only one. But what crutch does the world have? Well, they have many crutches. They have the false hope of youthfulness. They have a credit card with large um, credit lines. They have sex and drugs and rock and roll. They have alcohol. They have a decent job with, with security, at least for now, until some other company buys them and lays them off. That's what the world has. But you, brothers and sisters, you have the living God. You have Christ Jesus, the Lord, dwelling in you, whose spirit dwells within you. Are you blessed? Are you, are you even happy about it? I know I am, and I know you are too. It is so good to know that God loves me and that he loves you. But we have reduced, we can reduce God in our own minds, and we no longer see that it's necessary to pray. Our prayers can become anemic, they can become routine, they can become rote, and there's no life in them anymore. Ask God to give you a fresh vision for prayer. A fresh vision for prayer, personally and corporately. Say, Lord, shake me up. You know, because one thing I remember, if you remember 9-11, that was a time in history, in our country's history, where even the unbeliever was praying. I remember that day. You remember that day. Everyone got really serious all of a sudden. And then after a few weeks, it just faded away, and everybody went back to their normal way of living. And God allowed that, I I believe, to shake us up. At the very least, he allowed it to shake us up, saying, you're taking things for granted. Is there anybody praying? Really pressing in. Let's be a people of prayer. And if we don't, or won't develop a fervent, consistent prayer life, we're, gonna, we're in for a miser- miserable Christian experience. And we'll ultimately then, as a natural recourse, we will lean on the things of man rather than on the things of God. And we can't allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep and be complacent. We have to be active and serious and diligent in prayer. Notice in verse 8, Peter says, And above all things, have fervent love. The the word there is the Greek word agape, which means a benevolent love. He says, have have this fervent love for one another. For love, this agape love, will cover a multitude of sins. And this is benevolent, self-sacrificing love. This is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross when he who was without sin became sin for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the kind of benevolent, self-sacrificing love that he's talking about. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean that we we can cover up our friends. If our friend uh, robs a bank and you know of it, and the police are out after them, you don't harbor that person and tell lies to cover up the sin. No, that's not really what it means. You encourage them to do the right thing and to hand themselves in, to turn themselves in. Love doesn't cover that kind of sin. But backbiting and saying mean things about each other behind each other's back. 
Love covers a multitude of sin. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.